Hello, Dennis. Hello, Jesse. <laughs> hey, we have some new Patreon supporters. Yes, we do. They're our friends. They are our friends. Juan Posada and Michael Pignato. Wow. Especially those two. Yeah, They're absolutely. And so, first of all, thank you for your support. Third of all, uh, if you want to support us, go to patreon.com slash liturgy. Why do we need support, you might ask? Well, these things don't pay for themselves. Every episode of The Liturgy Guys costs about $250 to produce. And, and that's just to pay Chris. That's my Chris. <laughs> I get nothing. <laughs> Chris gets something occasionally. Mm-hmm. Deep admiration. Anyway, it doesn't go into some idiot fund. It goes into actual supporting the cost of this podcast. So thank you, Patreon supporters. And we have a new class online that people can take. We do. It's very classy. It is. Very, who's, the, who's the teacher? <laughs> it's very classy. This is Chris Carstens. Oh, what it's about in, mine? It's coming up soon. Oh, don't okay. worry. And uh, Chris teaches an introduction to the sacraments, and you can get that for 50% off right now. You can go to liturgy.online to find out more information about that. And this week's special guest, Father Kyle Mano. This, he is a very special guest because this is his second time being a guest on this show. He's priest with the mic and he's more cake, please. So without further ado, episode 24 of season three of The, the Liturgy Guys. Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Here we are. Guess who's with us? Don't uh, ring the bell yet. Sorry. Oh, yes. Yeah, actually, ring the bell. Father Kyle Menno. <laughs> Founder of More Rake, Please. Oh, no. Wait, what is <laughs> more, it? More Cake, Please. Oh, more got cake. it. Yeah, we should have had some cake. Or actually, we're out oh. of cake. We need more cake. But you're <laughs> here, yes. so that's good. Now, more you cake, have please. the distinction, Father Kyle Anthony Mano. Of yes, being middle the, name. the first person to be a guest on the Liturgy Guys two times. I, I is that real? Yeah, no yeah. one has been here twice. Other oh than my God, Chris and and you and may or may not have more downloads than the Bishop Barron episode. I think oh. you you do. You I'm are a, number one download episode all the time I'm of Google all that. guests that have have appeared twice. Uh, <laughs> no, of all guests who have appeared once. So nice. We are blatantly using you in, as a friendship of utility, as Aristotle would say, to, Go on. to get more downloads. So make sure you put this on your Instagram, your Twitter. Your I will share it at Facebook. Father Mano, at Father Mano, at Father Mano on all my platforms. At Father Mano at Gmail is my Instagram. Oh, handle. yeah, that's right. <laughs> your Instagram. That email. is a deep cut that? right there. Yeah, you can follow all my stuff. So anyway, you're back. I am back, and I'm excited to be back. And we are here to do a couple things. One is to find out what the heck you've been doing, because you mm-hmm. have been busy, and you started this Priest of the Mic thing, and more cake, please, and what's that all about? Yes, yeah, so I started Priest of the Mic, street evangelization. I go out there, and I just interview people, talk about who is God, what is life, what makes you happy, um, and then create that content do that on the street, but also did a couple things on Sirius XMS Priest with the Mic, which That's was fun. A radio show you have now, it right? It was a radio show I did for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then. Because um, you had a mic in the radio station. I too. had a mic. But in your the other radio Priest station. with the Mic was like the old school. Old school, handheld. Stop people on the road. Mike. I saw some of your videos from out in front of the Groman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. 
Yes, we'll have to go to L.A. When you talk to people in Superman costumes. Spider-Man. Superman, Spider-Man. Spider-Man dropped some good spiritual nuggets. Yeah. Oh, Daredevil was Catholic. Did you talk to Daredevil? He was. Mm. And he was blind. Yes, that's true. Blind to sin. I wonder if that's a thing with the gospel. It could right? be. Healing the blind. Yeah. He's saving people. There you go. Oh. Anywho, so I'm doing the praise with the mic. <laughs> if people want to see it, they can go to my social media at Father Mano. Father spelled out two N's. Mano. Mano spelled out too? Yeah. Yeah. Do you call, you know how sometimes you will like release a little bit of the whole video? Yeah. What are those called? Mano tees? Oh, nailed it. (laughs) Get it? I don't get it. Mano tees? Mano tees. Like the animals in the ocean? Like the the cows of the sea? Yeah. 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 It's just a little bit of a pun. It's just a pun. It's a thing I do. I'm humorless. Since Chris isn't here, I have to be the humorless one today. I'm naturally inclined to be humorless. So anyway, you talk to people on the street, and you find out they probably all have some idea about what they think about God, faith, Jesus, whatever, all different. Yes, so the beauty of going out there is since I'm in priest clothes, we all know it's offensive to stare at people in public unless you're in priest clothes. Mm -hmm. Then everyone stares. That's a thing? It's Yeah, Oh, Oh, all day day and all night. Even me, I'm like, hey, priest. Do they try to give you $5 to have their picture taken with you because they think you're in a movie or something? That did happen in L.A. because they thought I was one of the people in the Suits and the costume. Yeah. But yeah, go out there, whether they love priests, hate them, love the church, hate the church, they already have some preconceived notion of what the church is, and they're willing to talk. So that's now, what we just do. asking a bunch of ignorant people what they think, uh, what's the point of that? What's your goal here? I'm convinced that all truth is embedded in each one of us. And so if we ask the right questions and dig in with the right follow-up questions, that truth will come out. So they're not ignorant people. Correct. I take it back. Yes. I said it just to take it back. So now I get to take it back. So even the person who may not have any Christian theology training, CCD, gone to church, pretty much they all have some idea that they came from somewhere, there's a reason they exist, there's some good way to live or not live. Exactly. I'm going to drop, right, Chris isn't here. I just saw the other day he taught me. He talked about how ritual, right? It's like embedded in us, the truth. Mm. And so like if we can just ask the right questions, someone could even discover that with the mass, right? And so... It's embedded in us if we can discover it. I have to say one of my favorite uh, moments from your videos is you were asking people on the street whether or not they believe in God. And you were talking to this woman and she said, oh, she's more like into the science thing. And then you said, oh, really? (laughs) Did you know a Jesuit priest came up with the Big Bang Theory? And she's like, oh, uh." (laughs) I was like, she got him. (laughs) She just didn't know how to respond to something like that, you know? And like that was such a beautiful encounter because right, gospel is always about encounter meeting people where they're at. And so I met her where she was. And then we had this moment of interaction and she didn't realize like, oh, faith, science can match up. Science is true. Faith is true. It's God. So would you call this evangelization? I would indeed. Old school street evangelization with new school technology. New school Mike. How come my cake, more cake please? Yeah, good question. Totally sounds random. Thank you for Give me that question. Yeah, there you go. Dr. Dennis McNamara. You're welcome. Uh, some more cake, please, because uh, we want to appeal to people not just in the church, but also outside the to church. People who like cake, you mean? People who like cake, people who might not believe in God or believe in cake. Oh. And so it's a dual mission. <laughs> I do not believe <laughs> yeah. in cake. So it really should be more God, please, but it's... Like mm. Oh, we're getting there. We're, we're getting there. The sweetness of the divine yes. gift. Oh, you got to the end. So that's the premise is like we watch the videos. It opens up some spiritual hunger. We get a little taste. And then God willing, the person has that taste and wants to move closer to the truth. Ultimately, one day feasting on the divine Mm. 
taste buds of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. But my cake would have no frosting. Super Taster cake has no Agreed. frosting. Did you know Father Kyle's a Super Taster also? You are? Indeed, 100,000 taste buds. My wife is a Super Taster. Whoa. You are in the presence of Super Taster Squared. There yeah. are more Super Tasters on this podcast than there are non-Super Tasters. I feel like Captain what do you America. Call, what do you call regular Tasters? tasters. Normies? Tasters. Sub-tasters. Um, tasters. Um, average? I think it's average. Plain, old, boring. There is sub-tasters. More. Do you think I have 10, poor 000. taste? Is that what you're saying? Oh. Mm. I see. What, that's mm-hmm. a, a connection. For those mm-hmm. who don't know, super tasters are genetically superior to everybody. Else. I <laughs> Come mean, on. they're uh, born with 10 times the number of it taste buds. sounds like more of a curse mm-hmm. than can a I blessing. Fin- can I finish, please? They're born with 10 times the number <laughs> of taste buds of the average person, which means they like pie crust, flat Coke, mm-hmm. and uh, other bland, plain things. Agreed. The fizzy is too much. Right. So more cake, yes. More, more cake, frosting, please. no. Bring in Jesus Christ. Drop in some little seeds, some nuggets in the evangelization, letting the Lord feed them later and this bringing is, them hopefully to Jesus. This is the Liturgy Guys podcast, you know. Agreed. This isn't the guy with a lot of energy goes on the sidewalks mm. in Los Angeles with a mic But podcast. it could be. So why the heck? But it could be. <laughs> so what does liturgy have well, to do with Well, there goes my job. What does liturgy have to do with any of this? <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. Actually, through those videos, often I'll have a kid who's like 18, 25, email me and be like, can I talk to you or meet with you? My mom sent me the video uh, and, oh, I could actually probably sit down and talk to you. And then inevitably it starts with talking about the church, what we believe, what we do. And they always want to know, why do I have to go to mass? What's the point of mass? And so I'm convinced that if more people, because when I talk to these people about what happens at mass, or I share one little nugget of why I wear a certain color or why we kneel, why we sit, why we do any of those things, they have an instant like explosion of the mind because they just receive truth and then they want to experience it again. And so I'm discovering more and more in my ministry is that we aren't evangelizing enough with the liturgy. And the question is, how do we do that properly? Because I think there's too often two camps. Like, I either want banjos and, you know, people dancing and I like clowns maybe. I don't know. And clowns. I love banjos too, just in a banjo shop. And or it's like really... <laughs> on the Uber other side, but they're not really sure how to bring it in. Like if I don't celebrate mass that exact way, I'm kind of out of the realm of truth. So how do I actually evangelize with the liturgy? Or you evangelize so that people want the liturgy, right? Yes. Bishop Barron was telling me when he was in Rome at the uh, youth synod, he made an intervention where he proposed that the road to Emmaus story should be the youth synod kind of you know, overarching uh, motif that we, yes, we accompany people even as they're walking away from Jerusalem, like the guys on the road. Ooh. But then once you I talk to them and you find out who Jesus is, then they turn around and go back to Jerusalem. So you're out there in Hollywood, but the idea is to say, do you know Jesus? And then say, now you can come to the fullness of that in the liturgy. And it's just like that with the woman at the well. He met her, they talked about her thirst, and then where did it go? Right to worship mm-hmm. and to that truth. And so how do we start the conversation to get them to actual true worship. That's the idea. Absolutely. And I I was telling you this, Father, before we were recording, how I think this is kind of um, integral to what we're trying to do as Catholics. We have this discipleship and evangelization movement, which is primarily rooted in the the Protestant culture and the Protestant understanding, which is itself rooted very much into Scripture, but um, what what can be a way to bring people in is through the liturgy itself, because that's the source and the summit. That's where we want people to go anyway. Right. In fact, it makes me think of, I had a lady at my last parish. 
she met a woman who sold her flowers and she was like, nice necklace, Eva crucifix. They kept talking and then she said, why don't you come to daily mass? The lady wasn't Catholic, but it was like unintimidating, short, in and out. And like the lady just loved the silence and experiencing what was going on. And that drew her to going to daily mass more than eventually going to mass on Sunday and then becoming Catholic. It was like she met her, experienced her, and then catechized her mm -hmm. through the mass. She was like, I'm not going to even teach you how to pray first. Just come pray with me at mass. And that's mm -hmm. where it started. And, and let's not forget that the mass is very scriptural. Scriptural. Everywhere. Yeah. Every, yeah. It's, it's just soaked in scripture. Yeah, David Fagerberg, you know, teaches at Notre Dame now, but taught here for a while, called uh, Liturgy uh, Faith's Grammar in Motion. So we tend to think, read a book about the faith and you learn stuff. Like, no, if you walk around and see the faith on every side, the faith is being sung to you, you're standing for a reason, you're sitting for a reason, kneeling for a reason, shaking the hand of your neighbor for a reason. It's the reality of the faith, but in motion, which is very cool because we we're not sit still types, you know, for classroom stuff and all that. Even this podcast, people probably read in the car or on a ride. I'm not even sitting still. <laughs> Agreed. Dan I'm dancing right now. And if you know Father Kyle, you know that's true. Yeah. See, and what I'd be curious is, I can see from my perspective as a priest, how I can evangelize through the liturgy. I get to preach. I wear this outward sign. But how does the average person like that missionary, how do they evangelize with the liturgy when they don't have this platform of, I can talk to you every Sunday when you're in the pew, or I can wear this external sign and talk to you at Walmart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Imagine if Disneyland were not an all-encompassing experience, right? Mm. They, you know, they're very careful there about they don't let any of the employees uh, show up in their regular clothes, right? You have to always behind doors. Everything, even the janitor's closet says cast member on it. I don't Love it. I was that. just there recently. Oh, oh, yeah. So the janitor is not a janitor. Like, oh, I have to clean up. He's a cast member, and his yeah. play is make everybody happy, even mm -hmm. a janitor. And so the idea is if the liturgy is this all-encompassing experience, as soon as it becomes trite, boring, trashy, not that good. I mean, imagine if Disney World were as exciting as your average suburban parish architecturally or in any other way, nobody would go, right? And so we sort of, I think, rely on the sense of duty still, but instead to say, let me invite you into this magical experience of something beyond you and exciting that makes you ask questions at the same time delights you. It's like the Lord of the Rings. Everything about it is odd at first, but then also becomes fascinating. You enter in the world of the Lord of the Rings. And when you understand that world, you properly worship. If I don't understand the world, I'm going to try to bring whatever my preconceived notions are or the things I like into that to make it to better. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't understand what's happening in mass, then I'm going to want to do things that I know make me feel good. And that's the opposite of the orientation that we should have when we approach the liturgy. We should be approaching and relinquishing ourselves to the liturgy rather than making the liturgy be what we need, hmm. especially emotionally. So we, yeah. don't, we don't want that cake. No, no <laughs> cake, please, with that one. <laughs> well, you know, just last week I taught uh, a couple of chapters out of Ramona Gordini's The Spirit of the Liturgy. And he has one chapter called The Playfulness of the Liturgy and one called hmm. The Seriousness of the Liturgy. You know, Disney World is a playful place, but it's also very serious, right? If you are dressed up like Cinderella and you rip off your wig and scandalize a bunch of kids, you're not really Cinderella. Right, you're, yeah. You're just an actress. Like, that is serious business. You are Scandal. out, right? <laughs> yeah. But then at the end of the day, what is it? It's this magical experience of meeting the princesses and the Lion King. And even the main street looks like towns that we wish still existed instead of all the suburban six-lane 
traffic lights, you know? So what is the liturgy supposed to let us walk around in? Well, our own heavenly future, right? The beauty of angels and saints singing at the throne of God, the restored world, restored creation, restored relationship between people and other people and people and God. And so in a sense, it's playful. You walk around in this like true Disney World, I think that's probably where Disneyland or Disney World come from. It's our desire for eschatological perfection, right? Where everything is down. Whoa, Whoa mic trapped. Yep. And everybody's happy and nobody has to drive anywhere or go to work and dwarves, you know, mm. bring you food stuff. Which <laughs> dwarf is that? <laughs> Obviously grumpy. Uh, yes. food, foodie dwarf. Foodie yeah. dwarf. Yeah, yeah. Super taster dwarf. Um, <laughs> but serious, right? So the content of the liturgy is serious. What are you doing? But at the same time, it's swim around. I think he says everything is lyric, melody, and song or something like that. Mm -hmm. Everything about it is this delightful experience. And that's as an evangelization power itself. Other than go read a book about the mass or come do this delightful yeah. thing. And what you made me think of was since I was just at Disney before I went, I was like Google. I mean, I've been there before, but, but Disney World or Disneyland? Disney World. Okay. Which, uh, sorry, way which better. princess did you dress up as this time? I plead the fifth. <laughs> 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 we'll edit that out, right? I yeah, I'll share it. So I, before Elsa. I went, because didn't I see you in a Star right. Trek costume somewhere once? Fiona. And so, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, before I went, I Googled like, what, what was I going to see? What was going to be near the Magic Kingdom? What ride was I going on? And I got more excited to be there. And then when I was there, I was like, it's here. I prepared for this and now I'm pumped to see it. And so I think more of us need to learn about the liturgy, what's going on. And then when I can easily bring a friend, that come with me to mass, give them like three things to focus on that they can enter into. And that way we can all kind of stop doing that thing, which I do myself too and did, was if the preacher wasn't great, I was afraid to bring someone to mass because oh, mm -hmm. they're going to yeah. be bored. Well, sure. And so if I can equip them, like here's three incredible things that are going to happen. When you hear the bells, that's why. When we walk in while everyone kneels, that's why. So now they're looking out like, what they're looking for, and they can actually enter into the liturgy without even knowing the fullness of it. I'm going to say something embarrassing about Father Nick Wickard. Did you ever know Father Nick Wickard? No. He was on Three North Dog, and is a priest now in Seattle. And I was in the Holy Land teaching when his class was there. And, you know, in the um, Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Rome, not in Rome, Jerusalem, mm -hmm. there's this big slab that's supposed to be the burial slab of Christ. Yeah, and right you know, when you walk in. You know, people pour. Oil. oil. Yeah, the scented oil. Uh, and it smells like roses. Now, Father Nick Wickert still to this day is, is a manly man, you know, and he doesn't like to be thought of as girly Father Girly uh, Nick Wickert. And um, he leaned into the slab that was covered in this oil that smelled like roses so much that it got all over his face, all over his coat, all over his hands. What? And it was as if you opened a bottle of like old lady smell and poured it <laughs> over your head. Everywhere he went, he smelled like roses and he was mortified because he didn't have a way to wash his coat and everything. But everywhere he went, he smelled like roses. And if anybody asked him why, he would have to have said, I just leaned <laughs> into the, the burial oils of the body of Christ mm. in the place where he was laid before he was put in the tomb. It's an odd smell, but... It's supposed to be odd, right? There's something different than everything else that you do all day long. So you're saying that if we can, be, if we can let the smell of the liturgy rub off on us, yes, if you we smell can like then impart an old that to others, even more like an old lady than you do now, you could be. <laughs> that would add to your evangelization uh, technique and power. So, if I want to be the Father Nick of evangelization for my friends at home who aren't Catholic or don't go to mass, how can I take three things of that? 
rubbing off of the rose smell to impart to them when I bring him to church. Well, the point is he went there and there was this big stone on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And he leaned on his knees and kissed it. And you don't do that much. I mean, first of all, the church provided him a place to go because it was lovely. It just didn't have the historical association, but it was a place that was worth seeing. And then when you come in the door, there's a big slab on the ground that smells like roses and everybody's kissing it. I mean, it's an odd behavior, but it's so outside the norm that it makes people say, what, what is this place, right? So this kind of odd thing. But at the same time, there's, so there's the playfulness of the liturgy, right? There's something to do that's weird and delightful and smells good. And then, um, but then when you find out what it actually is, it's not just trite, let's keep the kids busy because, you know, it's the youth group and we have to give them games to play. No, it's a serious business. I'm showing my respect for the place where the body of Christ was laid before he went in the tomb. So make your church full of cool, real, playful, but serious stuff. Also, the more that you actively participate and the better that you celebrate Mass, you as a, as a priest, as the, you know, uh, head of the church at that point, but also us, the more we are fully and actively engaged and put ourselves on the altar, on the patent, and offer ourselves through the priest to God, we receive ourselves back perfectly. The, the better we do that, the more Christ-like we become and the better people can see Christ through us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it made me think of... That's just I, off the top of my no, head. No, I love right? it. I love it. It's, you, write that down somewhere. It's clear, Can you write that down? It's clear about you, Father Kyle, that there is no divine life in you, no enthusiasm, <laughs> no energy, no, Boring. Hol- no Holy Spirit. Man, you're just like... Well, what you made me think of was I met a guy a couple of years ago. He was a basketball coach for his son. And he avid mass goer, mass every week, daily mass sometimes, also adoration. And one of the other coaches from the team came up to him and his marriage was failing. And he said, hey, you've got your life together. Like you've got a good marriage. You seem happy. Your kids seem happy. What do I need to do? My marriage is falling apart. And the guy told me, he's like, I told him, gotta get to mass and adoration. And I said, nice, was he Catholic? He goes, no. I was like, (laughs) you you told a non-Catholic just that the cure was to go to mass and adoration? He goes, yeah, it's the truth. (laughs) <laughs> He's like, that's the only thing that's going to solve his problem. There you and go. I was like, more mass, please. If we get all more mass, please. If we all be that bold, you know. True, because we have this light, and sometimes it's under a bushel basket, right? Oh well, this is my private little religious life, and I wouldn't want to offend anybody by inviting them to mass. But I mean, if you invited somebody, if somebody invited you to a Hindu temple and they were Hindu, you wouldn't be offended. I'm thinking, so oh, that might be interesting. Yeah. And then, what if you got there and the architecture were interesting and the chants were intriguing? Like you might not know anything about it, but you say, "Wow, oh, there's some authentic thing here, right? There's something about its own self-revelation that seems to be legit." So when it comes to questions of liturgy. And not, uh, you know, in a, an inauthentic way, like let's make it fussy. It's how can we let the liturgy be itself? How can the vestment that the priest wears, the chasuble, so be so lovely that people say, mm. "Father, can I look at that? Where did that come from? Is that an antique? Who did this needlework?" And all of a yeah. sudden, it's intriguing. If it's the ninety-dollar paper-thin special out of the catalog, so what? You know, when, once mass is over, nobody cares. Or if the music, could you invite your friends and say, "Wait till the motet after during communion. It's going to be." you know, this composer, and they're so good. I mean, wouldn't that be a good way to invite people in? Yeah, you, in fact, you're so right, because I have this one vestment. It's got the image of the pelican, mm-hmm. the three birds. And, and I bet people ask you, why is every, there a bird on Every your single time I celebrate Mass, like 10 people at least. Why is there a bird on that. your vestment? Yeah, it's the imagery of the Eucharist, of the fact that if the birds are hungry and can't be fed, 
that the mother pelican would peck at her own heart and feed with her own blood yeah. and her own life. Which they have since found out isn't biologically accurate. But nonetheless, the idea wow. was... Wow. Uh, sorry, I'm the, I'm the demythologist. You get a phoenix on your chest bowl. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I like that. Resurrection. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, birds are a biblical thing. They show up all the time in scripture. Can you think of any bird images? Dove. Dove. What about dove? Holy Spirit. Yeah, on top of Christ at the baptism. And also with the olive branch. Olive branch with... Noah. Noah, yep. And then birds, wherever birds show up, they're, they're mentioned in passing, unless they're vultures, they're not too good. But for the most part, other birds <laughs> is a sign of blessing from God. So if the birds lay, the, it comes up in the, whole, in the office all the time. May the sparrows lay her young by mm. her altars. Uh, when birds come around, it means God is happy and you're in the garden, right? Gar- birds are garden images. So even something like that, you like, okay, well, I'm going to repaint my big beige church. What could I do to make this fascinating, right? You look at the early Christian basilicas in Rome, they had these mosaics with birds and angels and peacocks walking around, and San Clemente's famous for its spiral of vines and little people and all that. There's one in St. John uh, Lateran I love to talk about. It has at the bottom, the Jordan River is horizontal, and it says Jordanus on it, and there's a little river god who's got a jar in his hand, and the river's coming out of it. And then there's angels there, and one of them is uh, windsurfing on the Jordan River. Honest to God, from the 8th century, there's this little angel on a surfboard with a, with, a, with a sail, windsurfing on the Jordan River. How cool is that? That's pretty awesome. Now, that's playful, right? But not in a silly way. It's playful in the sense that it's interesting and fascinating. But then you ask the question. Maybe I'll ask the question. Because I think we talked about this on the podcast. What's the Jordan River all about? What's on the other side of the Jordan River? Redemption. Yeah. The promised land, right? You yep. got to get across the Jordan River. So it, you know, it's a barrier that keeps you away from God. Now it's not only not a barrier, it's fun. Right? <laughs> you can surf, windsurf to the, to the promised land on the other side. And that's a delightful thing to look at, and you can talk to somebody about that, and it would catch the little kid's attention without being silly. I mean, it's fun, but not silly, and there's a difference between the seriousness of the liturgy and then also being playful and uh, being silly. So it's like evangelizing even through... When you walk in the door, you see the vestments, you see the walls, you see the altar, and everything has a story, an explanation, and a way to lead you to God. And it's delightful, right? Mm-hmm. It's cake, right? More delightful cake, please. <laughs> That's right. So evangelization isn't pointing the finger and saying, do this or you're going to hell, mm-hmm. although there's some truth to that. It's like, eat or you will starve, right? Well, that's not really that invita- you know, inviting. Can I give you cake? And someone says, yes, more cake, please. Yes. Isn't that like the first thing? And that's what thing? Jesus did, right? That's, that was his, his entire ministry. Yeah, more wine, please. More fish, For, bread, please. You. More bread, please. I mean, he more was just like... healed not blind people, yes, please. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> more goodness of God. The more exorcism, please. Yes. I mean, thanks, Jesus. More apostles, mm-hmm. bishops. Disciples. More Emmaus, please. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't end. We can keep going. Yeah, you can. And so there, you know, that's the thing, right? He came to give life and life, to live life to the full, mm-hmm. right? So we all live it in halfway, in some way or another, you know, in our fallenness. But I think people see God sometimes as a limitation on their existence. But it's actually, no, be more, be more, more, more. Never wants to stop feeding you. More cake, please. Mm, pick up the fork. What, what did, I'm curious, because you're now at the Newman Center at NIU, right? Yep, Northern then, Illinois University. What, what is, uh, what's that like? I mean, you talked about, you know, incorporating some liturgical catechesis in your homilies and things like that. I, I'm just curious as to the reception of that amongst college students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. And especially college students, they are so in the place of already learning things that can be a little exhausting for them. 
But when you incorporate it into the, like, how do I explain it? If you incorporate into in an actual fascinating way, explaining it and not dry, they're receptive and they want to learn more. And so when I say, oh, I'm wearing red today because of a martyr's death, their blood, then they're going to ask me, what's the other colors mean? So I've discovered that they are hungry to hear the truth. There's a Where's Waldo moment in all of us. Yes. Right what is that and where is it? How do I find it? Mm-hmm. And so I find them very receptive. Actually more than I would say the older generations because I think the older generations grew up in a different type of church where there was more of a Catholic culture that they kind of heard it all the time, these explanations maybe. And they might be a little traumatized from the way they thought the liturgy used to be. Exactly. And so these kids are coming into college and they know almost nothing. I went through catechism class, you know, CCD, got confirmed. I didn't even know that Jesus was present in the Eucharist, right? Yeah. And then I got to college and the priest said it and I was like, what? What <laughs> is going on? These Catholics believe crazy things. I remember Father yeah. Hennessy, even after I was already through graduate school and teaching here, Father Hennessy here on the seminary faculty said, if you, if you don't hunger and desire the Eucharist, then something's wrong with you. And I was like, what? <laughs> right. Whoa. I thought Eucharist was the well, thing. I, I never heard that. That's I great. had to do on Sunday. But like, if you don't want breakfast and lunch and dinner, then something's mm. wrong with you. If mm-hmm. you don't desire the Eucharist, something's wrong. It just sets the bar like in a whole new place when you hear a line like that. Well, that's great. I mean, that's really good to hear that there's some reception to that because those are very formative years for people. Mm-hmm. And so especially some of the ministries like Focus and, and all these other college ministries and campus ministries across the country, I, I, I think they're doing really great work by, you know, doing those type of ministries at the college level for people because those are the formative years, because that is where you're going to get a foundation into adulthood. And I think that's why, like, so often now the Focus and Steubenville are every year more and more focusing on the Mass and adoration because they're recognizing that when we leave we need to be equipped with the sacraments mm-hmm. and where Christ set up in order for our hearts to be transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, other than more cake, please. And your radio show, anything else that you wanted to promote? Yeah. What else are you doing? Come on. Yeah. Aren't you doing like, I a just love things? Jesus. Yeah. He would promote Jesus. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> just pray, pray for Rockford diocese to have eight new vocations this year. Because you're a vocation director too, right? I am. Yeah. Oh, that's that. a thing you want to promote? Yeah, I'm vocation vocations. director, so pray for eight new men at least. Jesus likes, Jesus likes specificity. We had four last year. Double it, Jesus. How long after Jesse's annulment would he be allowed to be a seminarian for you? Uh, during. <laughs> <laughs> Can I also ask for prayers that Rockford learns how to not vote Taco Bell as their best Mexican restaurant? Uh, the people have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> we need eight new Taco Bells by the end of the next year. <laughs> more Taco Bell, more, please. More Taco Bell. <laughs> I think they have a new slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark pending. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, hey, will you stick around for a liturgy question that I have specifically for you? Of course I will. All right. Por favor. Why can't please? I bet you thought you were going to listen to a Bishop Barron ad or, or like time. a Scott Hahn ad. Not this time. No, it's a different ad. Have you ever wished, Jesse, that you could take courses with the content of the Liturgy Guys and the Liturgical Institute in the very comfort of your own home? I, I have not, but that's because I work here. But oh, I, I can imagine what it would be like if I did. Well, for those who do, we now have online 
courses we could call personal enrichment, continuing education on various topics. Four of them are come I'll be up there soon. Two are there right now. Two there now. And by March 19th, there will be three more. So five total. Uh, lots of Dennis and Chris goodness. So you can go to www.liturgy.online three with me. Ha ha ha. Only two is Chris. So it's a little competition. Please register and watch. Mostly for, for Dennis's For classes. my classes. We have a big thermometer on the wall and I want Chris to lose. So please go watch Sacramental Aesthetics, right? Study of Beauty in the Liturgy. One's on music documents in the Liturgy. And then the next one will be on active participation and what Vatican II really meant by that term. And Chris, did you want to add anything? Nope. He wants to know where they go to uh, find these online. www.liturgy.online Excellent. Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right. uh, This week, we have a question from Jesse Weiler. Jesse (laughs) says, Father Kyle... How did he? How did he know? <laughs> how did he know he's going to be on this show? Exactly. I don't know. Anyway, whoever he is, sounds really smart. Father Kyle, I know that you have some experience with celebrating a math a mass for the deaf. What does that rite look like, and how do we know how to do a mass for the deaf? Good question. So I do. I learned sign language in college, and so I do celebrate mass in sign language, and it's been up for debate for a while because some people will ask don't I need to speak a language vocalize in order for mass to be valid oh see, that's a because question I didn't even know I had you yeah. have to say this is my body you have to body. say this yeah. is my body but there are deaf priests and they cannot say this is my body and so in 2008 actually it was the first gathering on what we're going to do with the deaf culture in the church it was in 2008 it was big in the Vatican wow and they basically spoke about it's a spoken language in a different form. And so the priest who celebrates deaf mass does not vocalize the words. So when I, a hearing priest, say mass for the deaf, I'm only using my hands to celebrate the entire mass. Then when it comes to the actual Roman Missal, sign language is not a written language. They read English, but they speak sign language, which is different grammatical structure. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. So we, Whoa, that's trippy. Yeah, they're two different languages. And so the Roman Missal does not perfectly translate. And so different priests will interpret and celebrate Mass differently because there's no way to really make one succinct way to celebrate Deaf Mass. Is that across other? Because there's multiple sign Correct. languages. If you go to Italy, there's a different sign language. Okay. So it's different among different countries. So even in the Rockford Diocese, my pastor who was the president for a while of the National Catholic Office of the Deaf. He hosts every year a class on how to interpret the Mass properly. Like, how do I sign consubstantial? Mm. Uh, how do I do that and make it not look like heresy? You just, you just spell, <laughs> yeah. spell sign everything. You do have to finger spell some words like really? that. Yeah, it's true. Now, why was this considered necessary versus just having a sign language interpreter Ooh, good at question. a Mass where someone speaks? Yeah, so for the deaf, they always, of course, are seeing the person. The interpreter is almost always to the side. And so if the person has just a strict interpreter, they're actually missing the mass. They cannot fully participate because they're totally detached from the altar, it's from the priest. It's almost like having big projection screens on the left and right mm-hmm. of the sanctuary. We all know when we go to like... Oh, yeah, no, it's true. That, I love that so much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's great, Dennis. But you know when you go see a big speaker... If he's on the stage and there's two big screens, you're not looking at the speaker, you're looking at the screen, Mm -hmm. and you've lost that connection. 
And so that's why it's such a gift for the priest to be able to celebrate the Mass in the people in front of him. And so the I would imagine one of the benefits of this is that deaf culture isn't just kind of a deficient culture that needs an interpreter all the time, but it lets their own culture and their own language be itself. Exactly. And if, if anyone ever gets a chance to go to a deaf mass, it is the most beautiful thing to see. It's quiet, but the imagery of how the sign language works, mm. and there is more participation. If I have the interpreter, our father's going, I'm watching you speak to me. When the priest is saying, speak the Our Father with me. We're going to pray together. Then the entire community is using their hands and praising God. And when you use the word praise, you look up to heaven and you praise God. And so it's a beautiful experience to see that happening with the people of God in their own language. Is it quiet? Like, Do people have their different abilities Deaf to speak? Deaf people are louder than most people because <laughs> they don't realize they're being loud. Yeah. And during homilies, they interact. So you ask a rhetorical question, they will raise their hand and give you an answer. And you're like... No, no, like we're not, we're, we're not, this, no, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm preaching. But a lot of deaf people vocalize different ability of words, right? Yeah, it's interesting. If they're speaking to a deaf person, they will not vocalize. If they're speaking to a hearing person, even in sign language, they know you speak sign language, then they vocalize. Hmm. So they will only use their voice if you're hearing. So is mass noisy or quiet? Quiet. Them? Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is all fascinating. I'll give you one little fascinating aspect. My... One of my priests who did sign language in college, it is so hard to sign language and speak the Mass in English that he would only sign, and then I would sit in the pew and interpret into English if there's any hearing people Ooh. who showed up for Mass accidentally. Wow. So I was speaking or saying out loud the words of consecration, Whoa. but I wasn't ordained, so my word did nothing. It was his hands that spoke the consecration and became efficacious. How about that? That mind blown, right? Yeah, that really <laughs> is. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of any other type of situations or, or conditions in which we need adaptations for the liturgy. Because mm-hmm. uh, I never, before I met you, I never even knew that was a thing. So. Yeah, and in the in the realm of the hierarchy, there is maybe a handful of bishops who can speak sign language, and so that's why they need these like gatherings, these synods, and bring in the regular priest who does sign language to then bring it up and talk about it theologically. Yeah. Very cool. Good question, Jesse. Yeah, w. Jesse Weiler. Let, let's Jay Weiler. let's call Jay Weiler. No, no, Jesse W. Jesse for w. anonymity. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So, if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. and you can follow Kyle Mano at Father Kyle Mano at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. at Father Mano. Father spelled out Mano M A N N O. And your website, FatherMano.com. All right. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Why can't please?